The Youthscape Podcast. Hi everybody and welcome back to one of our delicious Youthscape Podcast morsels of goodness for you. My name is Rachel Gardner. Have you been watching Bake Off or something? No, and I don't cook, but I just thought, because we've just, we've just been having a little, me and Martin Saunders, my co-host, Martin Saunders, say hello Martin. Hello. We've just been chatting about how great the interview is for today, and uh, I just, as I opened it on air, I thought, no, it's delicious. It's delicious to be able to bring to you, beloved listener, just some fantastic jewels of wisdom from dear people. So that's that's the delicious. Me and Martin are kind of a bland starter. We're like the what would you be? prawn cocktail in the 80s, before it was, like now, prawn cocktail is really big juice. You see prawns. It's like mm. in the eighties, the prawns. I don't know what was going on in the fish world, mm. but the prawns were tiny. Like my wow. mum, my my mum like did prawn cocktail with like really orange sauce that looked really chemically charged, tiny prawns yeah. and a little bit of shredded lettuce, and have that was like your lettuce, little yeah. starter. So I feel like with that, have you have you ever wondered whether <laughs> those were the normal size prawns and oh, genetics? Don't tell me that have blown up. Oh. Our, prawns to, to superhuman size levels. maybe that's it maybe oh. there's is there a shrimp in the new godzilla movie i can't remember whether there's a giant shrimp in it the places that our minds go anyway, to listen so we are you and i you're saying are yes. the sort of the, the two nine, yeah. weaker courses in a three-course Just, meal with with a starter that you're like that was okay but i'm glad it's over but we're also the dessert but also, the dessert. But also like a slightly disappointing dessert we're like a dessert. Like if you if you come to live with me in, in Preston, our desserts are chunky, big pie type sponge related desserts. Probably You're not describing the whole me. No, my husband actually basically. <laughs> but my idea of a dessert, because I have kids that don't eat very much food, is a little pot of pity velou. So Aww. I feel that we are the little stud and we're the little pot of pity velou. That's nice. I, <laughs> I I don't know where to go from there, so no. I'm not going to. And I've offended my friends in the north as well. So. Today's uh, podcast interview yes. is with Trey Shepherd. Oh, we love you, Trey. Who is on the staff team at Causeway Vineyard, which yes. is the vineyard in Coleraine, Northern yeah. Ireland, where everything exploded in a wonderful way. Yeah. Um, and you've probably heard the story of Alan Scott, Alan and Catherine Scott, yes. who were the pastors there, and how they transform that church I think there were you know a hundred or so there's not a hundred there now that's not anyway the whole of the story yeah. um, it's also sort of where healing in, on the streets mm. really exploded um, and they are amazing yeah, oh, and they sort so of started kind. to impact and transform so entire kind. town yeah. yes. uh, in a really amazing way so we'll get on to that um, but we grabbed uh, Trey uh, <laughs> when you and I were at Summer Madness in the summer mm-hmm. Um, and it would be fair to say grabbed. We we actually grabbed and then stuck the iPhone in his face yeah. as he was saying to us, what's this, what, what, what's, you do a what, you do a podcast? Yes, press record. Here's the setup. There was no consent. He was going somewhere else. He was. He was on his way somewhere. <laughs> no so, consent. So remember this interview goes on for nearly half an hour and he had a driver <laughs> waiting for him. His blessed intern. We just don't take no for an answer. Do and, and basically the intern had to come in and sit at another table. And Trey gave us half an hour when I presume he was going to go and have dinner before. Probably. Because he was going to have to listen to you speak he as well. Was, it was just before man. you spoke yeah, at the evening was. service. So, um, Trey, so we thank you. Him. Thank, thank you, Trey. Trey. <laughs> um, and, and just, so I, I, we normally do this sort of thing after. It would make more sense to do after. But I'll give you a little sneak peek about what the interview's about. So we talk about um, the, the exciting, the radical, the massive, the phenomenal. Mm. And we, we sort of set that against the backdrop of what happened at Causeway Vineyard, Northern Ireland. 
Um, but it's interesting to have a conversation, I think, about what it looks like when we encounter crazy, supernatural, fanatical, mm. fired up young people mm. who've had an experience, maybe the Holy Spirit, um, in our everyday lives. What on earth do we do as youth workers when that happens? Mm. So I remember coming back from Soul Survivor as a very earnest 16-year-old and going to my youth leader and saying, I'm going to change the world! I'm going to tell all my friends about Jesus! And she didn't know what to do with me, except to think, I probably need to wait a couple of Get on your waistcoat and just calm down. All right. (laughs) That's enough callbacks. Now... uh, what, what you've you've had some experiences yeah. of like fanatical young people. You and were I, well, a fanatical young person. The, I was I was probably more fanatical than any young person I've met. I was the girl at school. Bearing in mind, my parents were homeless. We were living with an, an incredible old man called Ernie. This was all happening because my parents felt that Jesus told them to move and we had nowhere else to go. So my life was this kind of living, breathing. Either you give it all to Jesus or it's all a lie. Like there was, it was do it or die kind of thing. So that's what I brought. So I was saying to my friends, your pet has died. They have not gone to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, like you've got to turn or burn. I was running Christian unions. I was praying for mass revival. And in the midst of all of that was this deep love of Jesus and a desire to see things change. But it also was harnessing all this angst that I felt. And I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't feel, ang- I didn't want to feel angry against my parents and against God. Mm-hmm. So it had to go somewhere. So, I mean, it's interesting looking back and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, Lord, if I have turned people away from you because I was just so quite aggressive don't, sometimes. Don't you imagine though, if you put yourself in the mind of the early disciples, right? Yeah. They've just seen Jesus... Uh, die yeah. and ascend and then they're thinking whoa. whoa now what they're sent out into yeah. all the nations they must have been living on a bit of angst oh yeah crazy. they must have been incredibly like oh my goodness we yes. could get murdered at any moment it's, yeah. this could be our last day we've got to make it count yeah they were alright weren't they they were and I also think what I take from it is that I don't ever want to be a youth worker that creates like safety matters and we talk about this a lot around safeguarding it's not part of the, it is the gospel but I don't want to create numb bland mm. prong cocktail Christianity where where actually I, I dictate to young people um, what it looks like to be passionate about Jesus if, if young people are being a little bit on the fringes and a bit edgy and stretching me a bit that's probably a good sign that they're actually getting it so yeah. it's, it's a tough one and I one of our beautiful young people at our church uh, recently joined the the street team that we run and came mm. out and I could just see in her parents eyes <laughs> yeah. her parents were just as they were dropping her off with us yeah. to do this street evangelism I could just see the look they just looked at me is and this just safe? Say, is this safe? You, yes it's going to be alright because I I want her to be going for it but she's now really going for it and she's on your watch are you? Yeah. And, I, and I just had that little clock of it's okay yeah. but also we are going to stretch her and it is it's, it's going to stretch you and stretch her and that's okay she's, she is safe but also she's doing the most dangerous thing and that's fine <laughs> we had uh, a special evening at the National Youth Ministry Weekend last year uh, where we got people to talk about their failure oh, movement, yes. moments there was you and me were there with quite a lot weren't yeah there? we could have done it they were like could you you do one I was like you just want one many <laughs> and uh, you did one and uh, Len Kegler did the most extraordinary one I've ever heard about he did it he ran a youth <laughs> residential in a brothel in a brothel <laughs> I didn't realise which is just and just said to the young people at night do not leave your rooms <laughs> we're just going to lock the doors do not leave your room. I feel like for, for, the, for the purposes of good safeguarding practice, we should explain yes. that their coach broke down. Yes. Uh, like on the way back. <laughs> it was in America. It was a long time ago. Uh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> things, things were different then. 
and uh, and so he had to basically check into yes. it, and they basically patrolled the corridors. Yes, all the time. They did so it was all, all safe. It was all safe, but, but it was the context also, was like ah. it was a, a bed and breakfast, which was used which they had not realised as a brothel. Yeah. Okay, good. Now we've <laughs> got that little oh, yeah. red herring out of the way. So I talked about the worst kind of moment in in, please in read, my please take us there. youth work life, and there are many, but I think this is this is definitely a moment where I got got it catastrophically wrong. Um, there was a young person who was I got a referral basically from uh, from an older sister who was like my brother has just gone kind of crazily mm. um, you know into Christian faith not a Christian mm. ah. uh, remarkable story of um, essentially I mean let's, let's go into this he moved into his sister's bedroom she'd gone off to university and he moved into the bigger bedroom which was hers she was I, I knew her from, from youth work from a long time ago the sort of girl who spent the ages of 16, 17 and 18, if she wasn't at school, she was praying and fasting in her room. Wow. You know, she, and she has now gone on to become an incredible um, leader. But, um, but she basically, her bedroom was like a shrine of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And then he moved in and within a week, like, God spoke to him and was like, there's a book under the bed, read it. So he reached under the bed and he found this book. And he read the book and basically read it all night and over overnight said, God, I want to follow you. Wow. And then I was sent in as the expert, ladies and gentlemen. Who do you call if you have a supernatural youth ministry emergency, Martin Saunders? <laughs> uh, and so uh, they sent me in and I was I was very sure I could handle this. This is, you know, I've never seen it before, but I, I could I could deal with this. I feel, it feels very Ghostbusters. It feels very Ghostbusters, this. So I went in and um, I made a complete hash of it. And this is how um, I, um, I, I found the flames of his fanaticism. So he was going up to people in the street and um, uh, asking people to pray for them. He was having prophetic words for people left, right and centre. He was writing them all down in his book. Crucially, a lot of these prophetic words were proving n- not accurate. Okay. And a lot of the going up to people and praying for them was, was not accurate as well. And, uh, and I'm absolutely sure he did have an experience of the Holy Spirit and of God. But also, mm. he was under tre- tremendous stress and pressure mm. at school at the same time. And so, unfortunately, what happened was that he, um, he decided that he was not going to uh, sit his exams. Or rather, he was going to sit in his exams. And God was telling him to just write his name at the top and then leave the page blank. And mm. that God was telling him that, um, you know basically God was going to do a miracle mm. and he was going to get amazing scores in his exams. Mm. And I should have I should have spotted that this young man mm. was absolutely manifesting an experience of the Holy Spirit mm. and of God and at the same time mm. wasn't brilliantly in his right mind mm. and was really suffering from stress, mm. particularly related to revision and exam anxiety. And I didn't pick it up. And so I did fan the flames for too long and then when he told me he wasn't going to... I mean, even I, as an idiot, realised it was not a good idea to mm. sit in your exam and wait for a miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. So I did, at that point, tell people, but it was mm. too late. Mm. And so, um, you know, he, he did it. It all went a bit wrong, mm. and he had to retake the year. Now, the beautiful conclusion of the story is actually he's amazingly when he reset his exams, oh, and he's now at a better university than he, yes. than he would have been. But, um, but it was a colossal yeah. misunderstanding of fanaticism and how it works so um so that's the tension i want to set this interview against the backdrop of that tension because we could you know i love what causeway vineyard are doing and i love trey and i love all that stuff but Mm. also sometimes we have to be wise Mm. and we we also have to say gosh Mm. um you know sometimes this this stuff 
mm. isn't quite what it appears to be. I think, and I, I went and visited Causeway a couple of years ago, and I spoke, um, so Trey's wife, Tori, is a huge, um, I'm just a huge fan of hers. Tori, I think you're amazing. If you're you going to say Tori was a fan of yours? <laughs> it's a total slip of the tongue. I, <laughs> I absolutely meant it the other way around. <laughs> but, um, but I think, with that in mind, I was expecting to find people floating above the planet. Mm, mm. What I found was real down-to-earth. Mm. and nothing stirred up nothing generated no sense of people getting themselves in a hyperactive sense of state and I think it took the church by utter surprise that mm. when ordinary mm. people got on the street and said can I pray for you people went oh yeah okay then and and yeah. God did something extraordinary which I think is one of those great examples that this has to be the work of the Holy Spirit mm. because there's nothing of humans mm. in this whipping mm. this up and and I remember a friend Bride Draper um, saying that, that Jesus wants to make the church more human like mm. actually the, the more spiritual we are the more human we are mm. and actually a mm. big a big worry the worry alarm bell should go off when you see groups of people or groups of young people or individuals acting in some kind of strange super spiritual floating yeah. of the planet and there, of course there are mystics there are people that have divine encounters and it but actually that's not the state they're in all the time mm, they're actually mm. incredibly down to earth and rooted even if their times of prayer might might take them those places mm. so i think that's I, I even think now gosh what would i do if i was a presenter again with a young person where there's obviously lots mm, going on mm. i think that trying to be rooted in yeah. humanity and and there's a realness to this life and god, god does extraordinary things but he does it in very ordinary ways like when yeah. jesus healed there wouldn't have been a la, 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 you know he just spits on some mud and a guy's healed like, i enjoyed that can so i say how much i enjoyed you doing la, that la, like interlude that, that little backdrop so yeah it's, it's, it is interesting so yeah. yeah so have a have a little listen to when martin saunders manhandled trey shepherd the youthscape podcast So, a uh, weird thing that just happened. We were recording the last podcast, uh, and then right at the very end, uh, in Rachel's B&B, Trey Shepherd walked in, and yes. we thought, hang on a minute, we'd just given you a name check. It was really weird. We'd just done the, um, <laughs> the, the shout-outs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so we did a bunch of shout-outs to people we knew, and then we, did, we literally did your name, and you appeared. Oh, right. Um, we, she just said me. And I yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even realize it until after, after all the dust. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's great, man. That's the, great. Other, the other weird thing about this is, yeah. do you know the last time we saw each other, uh, I, was, I may have mentioned this before, I used to be editor of Youthwork magazine, and uh, we used to run a, a weekly podcast, or a monthly podcast, I think, and you were in, you were in 100 hours? Yes. And, uh, and that's been over 10 years. Over yes, 10 that's years. Right. That's the last wow. time we saw each other. Good grief. And, um, and, 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 and I interviewed you on that, and now you're the first person to be on both podcasts. Unbelievable. You're the first person. We've done that's, 120 of these. That's perseverance for you. That's kids. it. The long game. If you're listening today, <laughs> the, the long game, I'm all about the long game right now anyway. I think that's the most impressive thing. So it's perseverance. So right now. you um, uh, were in a band. I was in a band, yes. With, and, and is that how you came to be in, this, in, in the UK? Um, the no, band? not originally. Tori, my wife, and I came to the UK for um, what was supposed to be five months. Yeah. In 1993. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, we just lost our return ticket. <laughs> Still looking. No. Um, we, so we, uh, we came over to work with Youth of the Mission. Yeah. And um, 
we were going to do a their discipleship training school for five months in Scotland. And yeah, we just, you know, we, we, uh, they, they kind of offered us a role um, near London and Harpenden, you know. Yeah, St. Albans, just area. by us in Luton, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we, we thought, yeah, let's do that. I mean, we were young, and we were like 23, 21, we were married three weeks, you know. And we were like, yeah, let's go for this. Well, I know. You know? It was incredible. And, um, and that was how it kind of began. And, you know, and, and, and the years kept going. We started the factory, you know, that discipleship community that was really just five people. It just kind of exploded. Yeah. 100 Hours kind of started because I was writing songs for our little prayer group, which was five of us. Again, um, I wasn't really, we weren't really trying to do a band or anything. It all yeah. just kind of took off from there. And then... That's actually, let's just pause there because that's an interesting thing because most people do it the other way around. They, yeah. They're kind of trying to write songs that other people will sing. No, we, we, I definitely was not. I didn't feel like there were songs that we could sing that said the things I was trying to say. So I wasn't, I, I wasn't like going, how could I get in the worship charts? I mean, you got to understand, man, this is a long time ago, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Most of you who are youth pastors now are probably like 10 years old when this was happening. Yeah, you weren't even in the youth group. I know, it's so weird. I keep running into people here who are like, I got saved when you spoke at Summer Madness last time. And I'm like, Wow. How old are you? And they're like, I'm 30. I was just like, you know what I mean? Because it's been a long time. But um, it's incredible, though, just to see that kind of thing happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we were just writing. We, you know, we were, we were praying for Jesus to move. And we were trying to sort out how do we, how do we, how do we live like Jesus in culture, not yeah. just in YWAM or church or any of those sorts of things. And, you know, and I was a local youth pastor with, like, six kids in my little youth group that was, you know, not that great. And... We just begin to go, God, we got to see something happen. We got to see some life come to this. And so that was it. You know, it was my, me and Tori, my wife, my brother came over to join us. And we had two girls, Aaron and Carrie, who were those. That's the original factory, which eventually became uh, three and a half thousand liters from 52 nations. Wow. You know? So I mean, it was incredible that it grew from that. But it really did begin with that, us getting up early, meeting for prayer. I mean, it sounds noble now, all these years later, but the truth is, is that after a few weeks, you know, I mean, when fire did not fall from the sky, we yeah. were like, this is getting really tiresome. So, you know, we'd all find excuses, but in the midst of that, I just begin to, um, just trying to spice it up sometimes because man, the first few weeks you're praying like that is so mm. exciting. Mm. By week three, you are, mm. you know, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless these, um, socks. You feel like you've done it all at yes. that point. Yes. Oh God, if you would today just... Keep me from falling asleep during this prayer time I'm in right now. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> so I just began to write for, for that a little bit. You know, and that's when I wrote, um, I guess, the first song that kind of went to you know, for the cross. And again, I, I didn't, I wasn't, I honestly, I mean, to this day, even though I mean, I've spent a lot of my life and career as a songwriter, a producer, an artist, all that, none of that was my intention. Mm-hmm. Later, when 100 Hours began to take off. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, there, you know, obviously we, we weren't even called 100 Hours at first. We, we were mm-hmm. called Chump, which was a joke name we made up. But in the midst of all the stuff that God was doing, stuff moving, we, at that stage, I went, you know, for me, if I look at, you know, <laughs> honestly, I mean, this, this sounds crazy now, but it's true. I was like, looks like rock stars and politicians get people's ear. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get people's ear. And I thought, you know, let's try the rock and roll route first. And, and that really just kind of exploded. And for me, that, the, the, you know, it's still the same thing. Man, I'm still doing the exact same thing. 
It's that dream of seeing Jesus expressed in culture and in life and in ordinary life. Um, you know, I, it's not just for youth pastors and worship leaders. It's for, um, you know, we really, I look at the woman who owns a business in town as one of our key missionaries. I look at, you know, a guy who's uh, coaching his youth football team, you know, um, you know, some guy who's a school teacher. I look at that as so that, you know, they're carrying the presence of God into every area of culture and society. Mm. And, you know, we had a real passion as well for people who are in brokenness or people who are from difficult um, uh, parts of our culture, whether that's here um, in the West, um, you know, people who are struggling, either they're homeless, they're addicted, they're, you know, dealing with, I don't know, broken family situations, even just mounting, you know, so many families in the UK are buried under debt. Yeah, they are. And yeah. it's just wrecking their whole lives. You know, the family mm. breakdown there because of debt. So for all of that, we had passion for all that mm. stuff, you know, mm. and I think that that was, it all kind of came you yeah, know, and we just it, we're still doing the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, fast forward, yes, like a whole bunch of years. Oh gosh, way longer than you I know, want to admit. Th- three yes. or four at least. Yes. Um, and uh, and you're now based here. I am. Uh, yeah, we it, moved here to Northern Ireland thirteen years ago. Is that right? Why did you come here? What was, that? What <laughs> was behind the, the move? I mean, honestly, we were tired and we were a little burned out. Um, I, you know, I, at that stage, hundred hours was quite a big thing and yeah. I was speaking at everything I was at yeah. Soul Survivor Summer Madness New Wine well this well, Summer Madness actually came out later but I was speaking at all these big events traveling around the world speaking and 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 when I wasn't I was on tour of the band and mm. you know we toured for 12 years and we toured around the world literally mm-hmm. um, so I just kind of get to that point where I was like, I, as much as I love this, and at that point, you know, we, we were touring outside the Christian thing too. You know, we were doing mainstream pop tours and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, really? You know, playing. Yeah, you know, we toured with a big pop artist and, um, and we were playing clubs and arenas and all sorts. And, and for me, that had been a real passion to go, what does it look like to take the presence of Jesus outside of the church and into, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always thought of myself as a, as a worship leader for Friday night, you know, rather than mm-hmm. Sunday morning, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. A worship leader for people who didn't know Jesus yet. <laughs> That's what he used to say. Um, but in the midst of that, I think that we were just tired. And the kids, it got to where the kids couldn't tour with me anymore. Mm. And we just really were like, we need to change our lives. Mm. Um, so mm. I had been invited in 2003, I think, to come and speak at Summer Madness. And so we arranged it for 2005, which was like two years away. It was, I was, it mm. was like an mm. eternity away. And when I, and, and honestly, I was trying to cancel before, <laughs> as we came down towards, because I was like, I'm going to Northern Ireland to this festival. I'd been over quite a few times for us to play shows in Belfast, but I'd never really had a deep connection here. And then came over, and of course, you know, I came to this big festival, you know, I don't know, two and a half, three thousand kids, something like that. God was moving. I got excited about what God was doing here. But again, it wasn't excited enough to like move. But I connected with a guitar manufacturer here um, who helped sponsor the festival. They, they made these acoustic guitars. Yeah. And I got kind of wrapped up with those guys a little bit, started playing their guitars, helped, ended up designing a line of guitars for them, so it led to ah. kind of flying back and forth one day a week. Were you previously a guitar designer? Or uh, no, I'm just a big old gigantic nerd. Honestly, okay. there's no other way to explain it. So I knew what I wanted, you know, and these guys were crazy enough to listen to me. Wow. <laughs> so I designed a line of guitars. And we, you know, we won Guitar of the Year for one of them. It wow, was they were successful. Yeah, it, was, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. They're, the Avalon Americana series, if you're listening. Other guitars yeah, are still, available. They're still available. That's right. That's right. I don't, I don't even get a commission for them, which is crazy. I should make a call. You should, that. really. Yeah. Got a card. Right? Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, so we, they arranged, those guys helped me and Tori get a weekend away on the North Coast here. And we came up and spent a weekend in Port Ballantyre on the northern tip of Northern Ireland. And absolutely fell in love with the place. Mm. I mean, we spent most of the time so burnt out and exhausted. And we were kind of going, 
do we still want to do this? We were done with maybe the kind of big Christian celebrity thing. Mm. I mean, you know, because that, it's not, it's just a, I, I, there's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just that, I mean, for me and Tori, it was just wearing us out. Maybe, I mean, it's, it, is, it is quite a bad, bad thing. thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I but I don't, I'm not trying to say that going around a speaking conference is bad. No, not It's just itself. that, you know, for me, I, I just couldn't sign one more Bible. I don't know how to explain yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> because what I wanted is I really wanted to understand what does it look like when we, um, what does it look like? And, and like it, what, what if a group of people lived in a place and actually just went for this stuff? Now, I don't know that I could have articulated it that well at the time because I was so burned out. Yeah. So we decided that weekend that we were going to change our whole lives and move to live by the sea in Northern Ireland. Of it course. was insane. Oh, my record label was like, have you lost your mind? And, and I kind of had. Um, I mean, you know, YWAM was like, you're doing what? <laughs> and they were like, what are you going to do? And we were like, we don't know. We're just going to change everything. So we yeah. did. Yeah. It, took us a, it took us a few months, obviously, to get everything together. And then in 2006, the summer, I was, they, were, they had me back again for Summer Madness. Yeah. And I, you know, <laughs> we moved like, the following weekend or something crazy. Wow. I think we were saying it from the stage. I was like, it's such a good time here with you guys last year. I'm moving here. <laughs> they were like, are they, people there were like, are you okay? And I was like, I think so. <laughs> so we stayed here. I commuted back and forth to London for a couple of years yeah. and kept touring with the band up until 2009, 10 years ago this summer. And at that stage, I... Um, was like, I'm done with this. It's right. time to do different things in my life. Um, and we had connected. We, 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 we didn't even know that, that you know, the church that I helped lead, now Causeway Coast Vineyard, um, was probably 120 people led by a couple called Alan and Catherine Scott who are, you know, quite well known. So this is before takeoff. Oh, this is before yeah. Alan and Catherine. Well, Catherine was a big deal. I mean, Catherine's yeah. always been a big deal. Of course. And Catherine's just wonderful because Catherine didn't care about any of that stuff at all. You know, Catherine's far more concerned about leading a church of 120 people in, you know, <laughs> North Coast of North Ireland. She's incredible. But my wife said to me as we were about to make the move, she was like, we were over picking on a house. And she went, honey, I don't know anyone here. She was like, I love this crazy dream of yours that we're going to go live by the sea in Northern Ireland. We don't know anyone. She's like, you'll be fine because you'll be flying out, going, being a rock yeah, and roll yeah. thing. She goes, I don't know anybody. And I went, well, I know a girl who lives somewhere in Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's called, a great line. Called Catherine Scott. Because I, Catherine and I had done some oh, songwriting yeah. stuff okay. together. So I okay. called Catherine and was like, Catherine, this is going to sound crazy. Tori and I are moving to Northern Ireland. And, you know, where, where do you guys live? And she was like, where are you guys moving to? And I said, well, we're moving to this little town called Port Stewart. And she said... We live at Portsmouth. No. Yeah, and so she was like, "You've got to come meet my husband, Alan." And so Tori and I had lunch with him the next day, and wow. and then we were sitting there at the little kitchen table, and we just knew wow. that you know we had God had led us, you know, because mm. we just we shared hearts with them, and they they weren't even at that stage saying do anything. They were like, "We got this little church. You could come if you want to, no pressure." Mm. And the first Sunday there, man, you know, it was, we were meeting a university classroom, hundred mm. people, man, mm. something like mm. that. And, you know, the whole, the whole church, everything in the whole church was in the back of a van, you know, mm, you know like a, mm. a trailer you had to pull out and set up. And it was crazy. And the man, from the beginning of the first song, I just began to weep. I was just like, we are home. This is us. Amazing. And, and, and even as Alan began to speak, I was like, God, it sounds like us. So that began our journey there. And then, of course, over those years, um, Alan gave me about six months and then had me do a church weekend. And then I kind of came on and started doing some of the teaching with Alan. And um, yeah, and things obviously begin to grow. And then, then it grew and then it grew and it grew. What mm-hmm. do you, you know, I, I mean, I realize I've just grabbed you as you're trying to leave the building, but, uh, but okay, this is man. a fascinating conversation. So, mm-hmm. um, so what, what kind of, first of all, what is it like being on the inside of something that is growing fast like that? And what, uh-huh. do, you, what do you put it down to? What was it, what was the reason that it, uh-huh. I mean, obviously the grace of God, 
Yeah. But what was the kind of factor? Those are good questions. Okay, so the first thing is, is that I had the wonderful privilege of being on the inside without having all the responsibility that most people on the inside had. Alan Catherine gave me so much latitude to do whatever. And, and about a few years in, after I'd taken over, I was kind of the de facto teaching pastor along with Alan. I mean, Alan is such an incredible teacher. Mm-hmm. And it was such a privilege to get to teach side by side, you know, week mm-hmm. in, week out together. Just and those years were so formative. We taught the yeah. book of Matthew verse by verse and looked wow. at what is what does the kingdom mean in Jesus' language. Okay. And it wrecked us for the poor, it wrecked us for the broken, and it wrecked us for doing church the mm. way you'd ever mm. done church mm. before. But when we got there, those guys had already felt like the Lord had spoken to them and said, um, you know, uh, you look after the lost and I'll look after the church. Mm. We just love that. And of course, healing on the streets was starting up at that time yeah. as well. And we yeah. were, you know, and I believed in healing, but I didn't really believe in you know what I mean? Right? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You know, I mean, I love this. You know, the Soul Survivor calls it naturally supernatural. Yeah. I was incredibly unnaturally supernatural. <laughs> I was the most awkward person around any of that. And I didn't want to do anything. All the Holy Spirit stuff, you know, anytime that God would begin to move like that, and the person of God begin to move in ways that were abnormal to me, I'd be like, well, I'll do the preaching. And then, you know, Alan, you and Mark do all the woo weird <laughs> But man, they dragged me in from the beginning. They were like, Trey, if it's not for everybody, it's not for anyone. This is mm-hmm. ordinary stuff for ordinary mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And we just begin to see God move more and more. So in the middle of all of that, um, um, then you know, part, kind of in a few years into that, around 2010 or something, I guess, I begin opportunities being open for me as a producer and a songwriter in the mainstream music industry. And of course, our philosophy and our theology as a church was that we're called outside the church. Yeah. So I'm Catherine, like, you got to go do that. You know, stay here. So I had that wonderful privilege of those years of getting to be a big voice into it and not having to carry the responsibility. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a wonderful journey of just watching things explode and just watching, you know, seeing hundreds of people kind of faith, seeing the church grow in leaps and bounds. And, and then, you know, our move from the university classroom to an old department store called Dunn's that leaked and was crazy and terrible. And when we first got there, we thought, we'll never fill this place. And then we were at multiple mm-hmm. services in no time. And you know, getting to lead worship and preach in the midst of all of that and mm. getting to be right there. You know, I can remember our first conversation with the Christians Against Poverty guys, you know, oh, with yeah. Ricky Wright, me and Ricky Wright, our compassion director, who at the time wasn't that. He was, you know, just a pastor. And, you know, they, they were talking to us about, they were like, you know, we really want to we think you guys could do something here. And we were going, man, how could we do something? We're like 250 people now, maybe it's expensive. And, you know, mm. and then a few years later, I think we were the number one debt counseling center for CAP. Wow. Maybe in the UK or something. And again, I don't say any of that, but that we were successful. It was just that we, we actually just began to, we, you know, I think in that time, one of the things that we began to do is we began to go, if it doesn't lead us to the loss and it doesn't lead the loss to Jesus, then we're going to do it. Mm. So we started mm. to cut any ministries mm. that were inward focused. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that that is what all churches should no, do. No, of course not. It's our particular calling. Yeah. And so that has made things tricky at times. You know, we've, mm. there's been people who've been like, hey, you know, I want to be more inward sometimes and I want some of these things and people have left and that's been okay we, mm-hmm. we do it's, we, we talk about it like a bus and you know you don't go to the airport and get on a bus for dairy unless you want to go to dairy you know mm-hmm. and you can't get on the bus for dairy and then halfway through go ah oh, I thought I'd rather this bus go to Belfast you know we yeah. very clearly this is on the front of our bus this is what we do and that's, that's quite true to the sort of Wimber origins the vineyard movement isn't yeah, it? Like, I he, he thought like that I think we're real vineyardy, even though I didn't probably think I was joining the vineyard. I mean, I did because I knew it was a vineyard church, but I, I didn't come to join the vineyard movement. I came to join this group of people trying to follow Jesus on the North Coast, and it just kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. And, and, but now I will say this. The longer I've been in it, you know, being a, you know, an amateur theologian, I guess that's what I call myself, 
But um, obviously, as someone who teaches a lot and studies a lot and reads a lot, I began to really get into the vineyard history and mm. the theology. And I was like, man, this stuff is solid. You know, yeah. this is the thing. There's a, there's a heart for the poor. There's a heart for evangelism. There's a heart for the word of God yeah. and a heart for the supernatural. And I was like, I want all of that. Yeah. I want all of that. I want all of it. I want us to preach the word. I mean, we just fin- finished a series on Hebrews. You know, I just taught the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And at the same time, you know, we just opened this hopes in our hope center you know we're the second mm-hmm. largest social services provider on the north coast besides wow. the government i guess that's and, amazing um, and you're making it i mean there's a, there's an impression that you're making on that part of the world that that goes way beyond the christian world you know that, that it, it, people in that community know who you are yeah. and look to you yeah well i think that we we said to people we've been saying to people for years you know you don't have to believe what we believe for us to serve you because mm. we believe that abundant life comes to a place when people begin to live in the presence carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and, and Jesus is, you know, in the truth of Jesus. So in the midst of all of that, I think we just kept trying to do that every day. Mm. We, everyone, every day, everywhere. That's the, these, That's the, these kind of things we say. And we look at it that it's not like my role or, or Neil and Janet, our senior pastors, who now their role or any of the pastoral stuff. It's the role of all of us. And our job is really to help equip people for that. And, mm. and, you, know, and you know, obviously in my role as a teaching pastor, and, um, and currently the worship pastor as well mm. is really just to um, is to try to help whet people's appetite you know on a Sunday enough to, to to get them into learning how to feed themselves and then how do we begin to serve and and really love with the love of Jesus across our communities mm. seeing people come to faith but also seeing people walk into you know abundant life before death not just life after death you know, we want both of those things. So one last question. Yeah. Um, just, just for the, the uh, our listeners are youth ministers. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, just to contextualize this a little bit. What, what is it, what is this experience like for young people to, to kind of be in the midst of seeing a church, first of all, really turn its focus outward towards the, the community it's trying to serve and also moving in the miraculous. You know, you've played it down which is, is admirable, but you, you see some pretty wacky kind of stuff happen, right? You see people amazingly healed, yeah, incredible we've seen, things. We've seen astounding miracles. Um, you know, my daughter was an astounding miracle. My daughter, you know, um, she's okay with me telling the story. I'll just let you know. But when she was three, she was diagnosed with a severe speech and language disorder. And we were told at that time she'd have to be in residential care by the time she was 16. Wow. And she was uh, in incredible um, language units and stuff when we were living in London near Hemelhamstead. Mm, that's where she mm. was. Um, we had we had full disability and care is not. She required twenty four hour care really. Wow. And um, we moved to Northern Ireland where those things are pretty low on the ground. Mm. And we began to pray for healing for her. And we began to grow in the belief that Jesus would heal her. And we continued therapy, doctors, everything. I don't for me. And just so you hear this clearly, um, if you're healed in a service in a moment or if you're healed under the hands of a skilled doctor for me either way it's healing and mm. it, both of it's a miracle mm. I, don't, I don't care if people get healed as long as they get healed mm. Um, mm. if you get freed from addiction because we pray for you boom but if you join one of our 12 step programs and take a 3 or 4 year journey to freedom it's still freedom let's get freed let's get Amen. healed either way it's all Jesus in my book okay so, so yeah, so my daughter just, we, we just watched an astounding healing over years with her. And she's now an actress. This little girl who couldn't talk is now stands on the stage. Isn't that That's incredible? what she's doing. Yeah, she's at a theater school now. Um, it's incredible. What so God's for that but, young person, that was an amazing experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and now I'll tell you what, so, so for our, from, from the earliest age that we really can, we, we don't believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is for adults. We believe it's for our 
children. Our kids are, um, you know, our youth programs and our kids programs are, are filled with the stories of Jesus. And honestly, we have kids that learn to pray for people and learn to lead people to faith at an early age. And we encourage it in all those environments. Um, some of the most astounding things we've seen are when little kids are praying for people because they have no guile. They, they don't, they, you know, they, they just, they just come and they, they believe when they hear the word of God, they go, well, yeah, we should try that. You know, and if they see that we're going, yeah, you should try that. And hmm. um, we recently did a generation Sunday. Um, which is we had all our kids just do everything. And it wasn't because we were like, oh, this will be cute, the kids leading the worship and stuff. It's because our kids have authority hmm. and we need to hear from them. A real community isn't just one homogenous group. It's that all ages and ranges. You know, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. It's your sons and your daughters will hmm. prophesy. Um, you know, young men and old men. You know, young women and old women. So we, uh, we, one of the things we do is this thing, sometimes we call healing on the seats as opposed to streets. <laughs> and we do it at church after service, and we just have little kids pray for people. And wow. it has been incredible. Now, of course, that's done in a safe environment. You know, we've got adults with them and all that. But their prayers and, and, and the stories they tell at their schools, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, and sometimes we hear the stories from their teachers or someone. You know, we work with over 40% of all the kids in our area through our schools program. We work in all, you know, pretty much every local school that we can get into. Um, and, you know, they'll do things like, they're, you know, they'll, they'll have a friend who has, you know, a broken leg or something, and they'll go, oh, can I pray for you? And, you know, the kid will get healed. And, and they won't even think it's that big a deal. They think it's just normal. Natural. It's natural. Yeah, but that's the thing is I want them to grow up with a, with a new normal, that mm-hmm. actually that we do see God move. We don't always see God move in healing. But we do see God move in healing sometimes. And, and here's the thing is that we can't control whether or not God will heal, but we can control. And I don't mean whether or not he's willing to heal. God's always willing to heal. Sometimes we don't. I mean, everyone's healed eventually in one way or the other. Yes. Sometimes that healing is death. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. It, and when people know Jesus, that means that they're fully healed. You know? But I think that the reality is, is that as we walk through that, we, um, we, we just go, you know, if every, every chance that we don't pray is another chance that doesn't happen. I mean, certainly for me, when I just begin to pray for people all the time, literally, I pray for strangers, I talk to people, stuff that I honestly, I can't, I mean, of years of ministry, being on stages around the world, I felt incredibly comfortable standing in front of 5,000 people, hmm. talking very vulnerably, but approaching a stranger on my own still to me today still fills me with that kind of almost nausea of dread. But I've just learned to like rip the plaster off and do it again and again, because the yeah. more I pray for people, the more I see their lives change, and the more that I see people healed. And I mean, I've got healing stories that I, I can't believe myself sometimes when I imagine what God let me get to partner with him to do. But he's been doing that all along. He's just looking for normal little people like us to go, you got big dreams for little people. I want to step in and I'm willing to take a chance. You know, I bumble my way through praying for people all the time. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I prayed for a girl in the airport the other day. I was flying home from somewhere and I just felt as I was walking. You know how they make you go through duty free now? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you gotta go through duty free. That took me and, about ten minutes this morning. Yeah, oh no, it's terrible. So as I walked into duty free, I just felt that little that kind of little sense that, oh man, there's somebody here I'm supposed to talk to. And literally the first girl that offered me one of those sample things, you know, um, her name ended up being the same name as my home state. Okay. And at the minute she said that was her name, I because I felt like I think this might be the one. And I just got a chance right there and I was like, I know we're right in the middle of the duty free, but I just think Jesus wants you to know how deeply loved you are and that you're not alone. And you know, and uh, she just burst into tears wow. and said, she was like, I have been feeling so utterly alone. 
And, and she was like, and, and I was like, well, those, that's exact, could I pray for you? And she, you know, she just wept as I stood there praying for me, duty free is good all around, <laughs> wow. whatever. But it was so crazy because she was like, I, you know, grew up with faith, but I've been, you know, I, I've just been having a really hard time. I've been really far away. She goes, I can't believe that you that's amazing. would pin me out. And I'm like, well, I think that's why I was probably here, you know, coming through. But the, the reality is that I think that there's hundreds of those opportunities. A friend of mine prayed for somebody the other day. And at the end of it, he said, listen, have you ever wanted to give your life to Jesus or come back to Jesus? And the guy went, I've been waiting for years oh, for someone to ask wow. me that. And he was so nervous to ask the guy. And I just think so many things. We, we so long for big stages and big worship slots and all that stuff. But honestly, man, the action is down in the ordinary life with ordinary people who are carrying such huge pains and burdens and shame around. And we get a chance to simply be there and be someone who, who gets to minister the love of Jesus. Hmm. You know, and, and our vulnerability and our authenticity in that moment, even if we're a bit like, because I mean, I'm not good at it. I'm always like, hey, uh, I don't want this to be weird. Which, the minute you say I want this to be weird, <laughs> you might get weird. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, make yeah. it weird. But in those moments, those connections and those moments, and, and, and for me lately, I've really been on a big thing about sharing my faith. Like, hmm. um, it is disingenuous for me to count the people who come to faith when I preach on a Sunday and then be like, well, Lord, I mean, 14 people have come to faith the past few weeks. I don't really need to share my faith. <laughs> so I've been on this new thing of like sharing the gospel. Yeah. I mean, I even sounds funny saying that I feel so weird because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't want to make it all like you always want to be all relevant and stuff. But I mean, I've been like fired up about going, well, how do I just share Jesus with people? Yeah. And, and, and getting to see people come to faith in those moments. And, and man, I'm telling you, I just think it's something that we all carry. And when every one of us every day carries it everywhere, then we begin to see transformation. And it's been incredible to be a part of that story in Coleraine and the North Coast. And yeah, I'm excited. And it's thrilling to be back here at Summer Madness after 16 years or something. Yeah. And to get to see loads of people who come to faith in that time or people who are like, I made that decision when I was 13. And then they, you know, a lot of them get to tell me these stories of how their lives transformed. And you just go, I mean, this stuff matters, you know, this yeah. stuff matters. Yeah. And um, when, we, when we get a chance to, to, to partner with Jesus, why, why wouldn't we do that with everything we have? Love it. All the time. Love it. Mate, I hope, uh, thank you, first of all, for um, just kind of letting me grab you. Yeah, uh, my pleasure, man. I hope, it's I, good. I, I feel quite inspired. I'm, I might go and introduce myself to somebody on the seafront now. Um, go but, do it, man. You'll uh, love it. You'll love it. I will. But you, um, you know, let's not, let's not leave it 10 years before another one of those conversations. I love it. I love not to leave it that long. You, um, so you, you wrote the, at the foot of the cross. Yeah, I wrote at the foot of the cross. Yeah. I mean, that, so when did that come out? Oh, man, I don't know, like 2000, 1999 or 1998. Oh, my goodness. I was... mean, most of our listeners probably weren't even born. I know, but I was like, I, that was quite inspirational and like oh, influential man. for well, me yeah. when I was a kid. I mean, I... I'm sorry. I was, no, that's great. No, it's great. No, I mean, I love it. Listen, you I must want... have been a child when you wrote that. No, I was 27, 28. I mean, all, a lot of stuff happened for me when I was, you know, like, I mean, we set a record down when I was like 30. I mean, that's part of the reason it was so in... I mean, I wasn't cool. I never have been cool. I've always been this real nerdy Bible geek who, you know, <laughs> liked guitars. I don't know what to say. Nerdy Bible geeks who like guitars but, I mean, are I, cool, Trey. They're cool. Listen, I'm always want. listen, listen, um, please go back to my back catalog and dig up songs and use them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do that. I want everyone to sing with their churches. Right, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so yeah, much. God Trey. bless you guys. Keep the faith. The Youthscape Podcast? So while this 
utter gold was happening. The scene setting, friends, is that so we grabbed Trey Shepherd in like the dining room area of the B and B where I was staying because Martin came in on the red eye and was just there for the day. So <laughs> Martin keeps during the day cropping up in this B and B, and the owner's like, "Who are you? Oh yeah, you're that guy that sits somehow weirdly in the dining room." So my my bedroom is <laughs> yeah. just is the door. There's a tiny door, like a thin door between me and this interview because I was about to preach and thought I've got to get my head in gear. So Martin, you do the interview, and I'm just next <laughs> listening to this whole interview and then thinking oh I need to go to the loo like will they will they hear me going to the loo while they're doing this interview but it was absolutely beautiful and also let me remind you this is the festival where Martin had a book signing and um I ended up signing lots of books yeah <laughs> yeah nice. such a great story isn't it i hope we tell that over and over many again. times many um, times did you go to the toilet i did but really quietly i bet you did <laughs> i don't want trey martin to hear i need to be on the podcast but it was yeah it's yeah so very very kind of him yes thank you trey uh, no notice no notice and I, and I love just again i what i love is that that idea of genuinely the naturally supernatural is what you were saying before we went yeah, to the interview of don't make it weird doesn't need to be weird no. it's just god no. um and with soul survivor now no more yeah. uh, lots of us need to keep banging the drum yes um for that idea which yes. uh, which certainly soul survivor i mean they've even they've had uh, a festival of its yes, own called, called naturally supernatural there's a book yeah. called that that is a great yes. phrase and really yeah. helpful and instructive and don't it? you find that martin don't you find that actually the people that seem to be operating the most in this are the most down to earth about it. So the cause I has been a guys when they pray for healing, they just pray and they say, "Do you feel any different?" No, that's fine. Let's pray again. Mm. Yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no pushing people over. No money. It's it's just they have such a confidence. That if God is going to do this, he's going to do it. And if yeah. he doesn't do it, that's okay as well. That actually people are incredibly safe with that. And, I, and I, that's really taught me in praying for young people or with young people about big things. How, are you feeling different about that? Oh, let's keep asking for God's peace then. Like, that's yeah. okay to kind of name it and not try and get them to a place they're like, okay, thank you, that was amazing. Because I think young people feel the pressure to respond, don't they, when mm. we pray. Let's take that away. Let's take yeah. that sense away. Well, so, one of the things I love about healing is... Healing? Well, the two <laughs> things I love about healing. Um, on the one hand, it absolutely God does it. Yes. Like, there are so many yes. examples. We've seen it. Mm. We know people... We know those stories. God heals people. Yeah. And Trey talked about one of those stories uh, in the interview. At the same time, there seems to be absolutely no rhyme, reason, pattern to how mm. and when and where and why he decides to heal people. He heals people after they've been prayed for for 10 years. Yeah. He, prays, he heals people the first time they're prayed for. He heals people before they're prayed yeah. for. You know, he heals people who aren't Christians. Yeah. He doesn't heal people who are faithful Christians. Um, and he heals when you lay hands on, and he heals when you don't, and and sometimes he doesn't, and all the way. And what's wonderful about that is I think we've started to get past trying to like legislate for how, mm. like how it works. Like there's no there's no real kind of like respected rule book on like mm. how you pray to get results. Mm. It's mm. not like that, is it? It's mm. like we just trust. We see the mystery mm-hmm. and we both glory in it and find it intensely disappointing at times mm. it's sometimes incredibly painful that you you know if you've got crippling back pain and, mm-hmm. and you're in pain every single day and you've been prayed for time after time after time and you're not healed it is a bit galling mm. when someone walks in with a broken ankle that mm. they broke yesterday and God heals it you're mm. like what's that all about but at the same time 
I think we've got past the point where we're trying to say, oh, you just have to do this. Yes. You have to have more faith. Yes. You have to pray in this way. And that's got to be a good thing. Let's yes. stay there. Amen. So that is enough for today. In order to talk of prawn cocktail, I'm going to go and find something coming to eat. So we're going to do our shout outs, City of Preston, which um the, the little logo for the City of Preston is the lamb, the lamb of God. Is it? It's beautiful, isn't it? Is it, it the Lamb of God or just... Yeah, no, it is the they, Lamb of they, God. They have a lot of lamb that they sell. Well, no, it's Lamb of God because it was... Preston means priest town. There's a priest town. That's it? You yes. kept that in your locker? Yes, that's where the name wow. came from. So back in the day, lots of priests were sent in. It was an area of great need. God's been doing incredible things in Preston for a long time. Awesome. So Preston, love you. Think you're awesome. All right, we'll say hello to Alan Galt, who is from Northern Ireland, which is where mm. we recorded that interview. So that's a weak link for fantastic. you. And Gareth... Crispin and Joe Taylor. Hello to all of you. And we said Shema as well. We're going to add her to this. Actually, later on. Catherine Devani, actually, who listens to this podcast and is kind of vaguely related to me, my lovely friend, um, uh, you are you are a Lancastrian. So that's amazing. So she is a North West girl. Uh, you've yes. named an extra person. I have named an extra person who listens to our podcast. Oh, well she then, does. hello. She's awesome. I love her. Thank you and have a great day. God bless you guys. Keep the faith.